Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast Uncuff India by One Future Collective. My name is Sanchi and my pronouns are she her. My name is Atanshi and my pronouns are she and her. We are your hosts today and it's so good to have you all listening in. In today's episode, we will unpack police brutality by situating it in the context of the Indian socio-economic and political context. It will also explore whether police brutality and the institution of law enforcement are characterized by any notions of toxic masculinity. Yes, thank you, Tanchi. As we know, police brutality has, over the past years, become a weapon of choice for many states to douse or weaken any protests or unrest. Not only has the regular recurrence made it normal, but it has also begun to be glorified as a desired medium for ensuring law and order. The perception of the police force as a means of protection is rapidly changing in how only a very select few are protected at the expense of others and it can now then be argued that the police has become a mere symbol of state power. To discuss this and to share their insights on the topic with us, we have with us Neeraj. Neeraj is an aspiring public policy researcher with an interest in Indian social policy and its social justice approach. He is currently working as the research support officer at the Oxford Internet Institute at the University of Oxford. Most recently, he graduated with an MSc in Politics of Conflict Rights and Justice from the School of Oriental, Asian and African Studies, University of London. At SOAS, he was affiliated with the Center on Conflict Rights and Justice as a graduate research associate and worked as a SOAS digital ambassador. At SOAS, he co-curated a three-day conference celebrating 75 years of Indian independence with a progressive critique of the system, India at 75 in review. He has been involved with grassroots initiatives in India since the COVID-19 pandemic, such as Khana Jaye Foundation, a hunger relief operation in Mumbai, and Eklavya India Foundation in Central India. Thank you so much, Neeraj, for taking the time out to be able to participate in this podcast and to share your really valuable insights. We're very excited to hear from you and learn from you over the course of this episode. Thank you, Tanshi, and thank you, Sanchi, for the introduction and thank you for this opportunity. Um, I'm glad uh, to be connected with One Future Collective today. Thank you so much, Neeraj. And yes, thanks for joining us today to discuss this extremely pertinent topic. And we are really looking forward to hear from you on it. So let me start straight away and ask you, what are your own thoughts about the police? How do you perceive the police system? And if this perception has changed over the years? Um, to be frank, I think I need to clarify my positionality. And that's very important because when one talks about police brutality and one talks about the perception of police, it's important to know the socio-economic background of the person who's speaking because that affects a lot of how people view the police. And over the past few years, I've realized that um, my positionality, of course, comes from a much more privileged space where uh, police as a protector was the only way that we saw the police. Um, and that's how it was described in, say, family draw- drawing room discussions that we had. Um, and growing up, I mean, some of my family members were a part of that institution. So uh, that's created this perception of police being the protective force for uh, for the general population. But over the past few years, I realized that, you know, uh, with my work on the field and with engaging with uh, initiatives on the ground, uh, the perception is different and not everyone looks at the police uh, with the same mindset. And um, that has led me to question the whole idea of whether um, whether the police force is merely a protective force. Can it be an oppressive force? Um, and if yes, then what are the ways in which we can sort of reform it? 
um but yeah my perception has changed over the past years and that is only due to um uh, my engagement with uh, activists and grassroots collectives uh, and communities on the ground thank you so much for that neeraj i feel you know when i was listening to you speak even i was thinking about what my perception initially was given my background my family and similar to you what what i heard my parents describe the police to be and how it has changed um do you want to share a little bit about what do you think led to this change in perception for you and what do you think forms the core of the police system and do you think that the messaging around the police itself is reflective of or you know or believes in this core themselves what are the agents from which this messaging is received about the police what they do who they are what is their role in the society etc right so i'll answer your first question i inherently say like multiple questions in this one uh, conversation so the first question um is about perception and how it changed um and for me uh, it was during the pandemic of the covid-19 pandemic of 2020 um when i started engaging with uh, kanachiya foundation which was a hunger relief operation and we worked on the ground um and it was a civil society led initiative um which was of course had to be in tandem with uh, the local government body the police system and all of that um and we reached out to communities uh, in mumbai specifically and around mumbai uh, who were um, absolutely in distress and these were communities uh, who had lost their only source of livelihoods um and for us uh, covid-19 was not like for us who were on the ground covid-19 was not just a health emergency it uh, eventually became like this a livelihoods emergency because people um often uh, said on the ground that you know covid uh, covid might not kill us but hunger will because there was people didn't have the basic necessities for themselves and in this um in this whole situation you could see people doing the absolute you know people resorting to absolutely desperate measures to ensure that their family is supported um they would go out um these were daily wage earners right so they used to go out try to uh, like sometimes beg but also sell um a stuff um on the on the ground and this was during the lockdown so of course they were not uh met with uh, the empathy that they deserved uh and police became that force that was uh, tasked to with ensuring discipline on the streets and they would often you know uh, resort to violence straight up violence in these communities um and their only uh, explanation to us was that you know if you don't instill this kind of discipline with the lathi uh, people wouldn't people wouldn't listen to them so it was almost like that infantilized a uh, whole population and that uh, that was like the beginning of how i started viewing the police not just as the protective force but also like this patronizing force that was trying to instill that was apparently tasked with instilling discipline in the population which is which i feel is should not be how um, the police system functions because that's not their responsibility to instill this certain idea of discipline into the population the idea is to ensure that there is law and order and to ensure that you know things can uh, things are moving swiftly and smoothly as possible but resorting to violence for uh, towards towards the police towards the general population is not the way to go and that doesn't create a very uh, that doesn't help the police perception uh, to be very honest um what are the core ideals now i believe that i don't know what forms the core ideal of course violence might be one of it 
discipline as a certain idea of discipline also forms this core idea of indian police system but i know for a fact that empathy doesn't form <laughs> empathy is not a part of those core values and of course that doesn't mean i'm generalizing there are of course i've come across police officers uh, who have been quite empathetic towards you know but those are as individuals outside sometimes even outside the police outside the police uniform they have been empathetic individuals but uh, in general i don't feel empathy uh is a part of the police system and there are a lot of problems to that um we can discuss it later but i feel yeah that's the problem the core values are very rigid um there's a certain idea of um uh, certain idea of you know um a uh, control that the police resorts to and that that is i feel not so relevant in today's society yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us neeraj and something that you mentioned really stood out to me that how uh violence may be seen as a core value of the police system especially in india uh but empathy unfortunately is not and uh taking from that you have also already mentioned right in the beginning the importance of looking at one's own positionality when thinking about what our perception of the police system is and taking on from that i would like to ask you how do you think different people perceive or experience the system of police and how how different it is for different people how does it happen or what do you think forms the basis for this difference and i think uh the core values that we just spoke of may have a lot to do with it so i'm curious to know your thoughts on it um fundamentally i feel the way police are police as a unit is even looked at changes a lot of things and this uh, is rooted in the socio economic um uh, backgrounds of individuals uh, communities um uh, in spaces like say metropolitan spaces like mumbai and i can speak for mumbai but i know a lot of these factors might be might be the same in other parts of the country uh, might not be the same again there are other factors there are other social factors such as you know the religion uh, of an individual caste identity of an individual all of these um uh, factors do contribute uh, but in urban spaces like mumbai um uh it it's also like economic factors right your class background matters and that generally shapes the opinion one has of the police so um uh, you would see like uh, i mean the bottom strata of the society the lower class the working class communities of the city is often uh, scared of the police in a way i mean there's a, there's a certain form of fear which is not the same among middle class or upper middle class or upper even the upper class of the society right economically well off class of the society they look at police in a very different way um and i have engaged with all kinds of people in the past few years and i've noticed that you know um the, the way police exert their power also differs and they know where they know for a fact that you know working class communities are easy targets working class communities can be disciplined quote and quote can be used you know uh, uh, can be uh, dominated through their perception so that that affects um, that affects in the way we view the police and also police view themselves right so they are certainly like i've seen police uh, members police officers change their demeanor um, over time when they move from neighborhoods to neighborhoods so you will have like someone being excessively dominating in a very you know that masculine kind of a way in a working class neighborhood but that same person would be extremely quiet in a very quiet demeanor in like you know an upper upper middle class neighborhood and that's i mean that also shows how police view themselves um where and how they operate in certain spaces so um i feel socio economic factors do contribute to a lot of perceptive reality i mean of course um middle class uh, uh, background 
um, I mean, people coming from the middle class often uh, have representation in the police force. So they have a very different view of looking at police. They look at them as like fellow uh, community member. But that's not the case for people coming from working class neighborhoods. A lot of them do not have that kind of representation in the police force. Um, so they are often like they often look at the police as like a danger more than um, more than someone that they can look up to for protection. So, yeah, that I mean, that's the way I think socioeconomic factors contribute a lot. Yeah, I think Neeraj, that highlights very well how the class background of a person might so deeply affect how they view the police. And I was wondering if you'd also like to shed some light on how a person's um, identity markers such as caste or gender might also play into this perception. Um, Absolutely. I mean, uh, as I mentioned before, when we worked in the working class neighborhoods of the city, now who is the working class, right? A majority of the working class neighborhoods that we have worked in came from religious minority backgrounds, especially Muslims. Um, and uh, also um, oppressed caste communities. Now, these communities um, haven't had that kind of privilege where they could participate in the the labor force in the same way that other communities have. And a lot of these uh, a lot of these communities are Dalit Bahujan uh, communities who have settled in these certain you know ghettoized neighborhoods, and that's a, a offensive word in a way. But um, I mean, social scientists tend to call them these ghettos around the city and. Uh, communities here have clustered themselves in and these are specific neighborhoods and anybody who works on the field knows for a fact that this is the reality on the ground and anyone who disagrees with it clearly hasn't is is clearly intentional or doesn't know how um, to look at the society in a general way so if you look at indian society of course most majority i mean most metropolitan cities would have these clusters which are deemed to be dangerous right and uh, we have noticed that you know they are given some very offensive slang terms um in the i do not want to repeat them on today here but i think people would know what those slangs would be and those are very offensive uh, often associated with religious minorities often associated with oppressed caste communities um, this idea of criminalization is imposed on these communities and that's the reality i mean it's time for i feel uh, people coming from privileged backgrounds, social scientists coming from privileged backgrounds to accept that reality, acknowledge that there is something fundamentally wrong with their own communities um, and start reflecting on those values themselves rather than, you know, preaching some form of ideas onto these other already oppressed communities. So um, I think those 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 ideas matter. Those identity markers are exceptionally important when one analyzes police in general, policing forces in general. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Neeraj. And while I was listening to you speak, there's just so much to, I think, think back to. Um, You know, and while you were speaking, I'm thinking, where are these ideas of violence, disciplining, protection, etc. coming from, right? And how do they drive or shape the police person's behavior or their actions? And, you know, and I know that this is something you study very, very fondly and, you know, you've been very interested to understand this uh, phenomenon as well. But, you know, tying back to the point about what you said, right, almost clearly that came out of what you were saying was empathy is not a part of the system, maybe as part of an individual person when they're not wearing their uniform. Uh, But there is a certain level of violence, a certain duty towards maintaining discipline, a certain level of... uh, Uh, harshness if I may say so that gets associated with the identity of a police person what do you think drives that identity and what do you think you know is there something that drives that identity at all and if yes what according to you is that 
Um, of course, there is this idea, this very idea of masculinity that drives it that, you know, someone has to be more um, uh, assertive, someone who has to be physically, you know, in a, in a particular shape, of course, has to be like this uh, macho person, if I can use that word, and um, has should have that certain idea of confidence and um, harshness, as uh, Tanshi said. Uh, these ideas are stemming out of this idea of masculinity that has been normalized. And this ma- masculinity has taken different shapes over time. And in today's time, we see we see a different kind of like a Hindu nationalist masculinity that is being portrayed um, in a particular way. But of course, there are other forms of masculinity as well. But this core idea of masculine identity, which is considered to be, um, you know, with this particular idea of voice, tone, physical demeanor, all of these things together form this idea of what ideal policemen or an ideal ideal protective force should be. Um, and this comes from a larger idea of defense forces, I feel. So police force is just like the localized form of protection service, but then the larger idea of the military and the defense forces that are there and the way they are shaped, right? That inherently also contributes to how localized protection forces or localized even vigilante groups see themselves. This whole idea of Hamare Jawan, right? I mean, uh, Jawan khade hai sarat pe. And this whole idea of um, exerting force, dominating and constantly like, you know, um, constantly being aggressive. And that that aggression um, gets translated into very localized format. So when I, I for example, worked on uh, the local right-wing groups in India, I noticed that their idea of masculinity is also stemming from this... Uh, idea of how the protective forces see themselves, or the de- defense forces see themselves. And they would try to nurture it. They would try to... Some, sometimes I felt that, you know, these were people who had aspirations to join these forces, but never got through, which is why um, now they are victim of this whole idea of, uh, of, of this whole notion of Hindu nationalism and uh, dominating certain other oppressed groups. Um, so it's it's very... It's not that complicated, but at the same time, it is... Um, and the nuance is necessary and we haven't been able to sort of like, uh, you know, d- dissect that nuance that well. But it def- definitely stems from a very aggressive personality that um, that forms the whole idea of Indian masculinity today. Yeah, and every time I, I watch anything to do with, you know, police representation, even in pop culture, for example, um, there is a very uh, streamlined understanding, appearance, uh, behavior you know that that they depict and just thinking back to a few of these shows that you know have aired for I think years now and have been fairly popular uh, it's not just to just to say that you know only the male police officers behave a certain way um, this movement and this reliance on aggression this reliance on I have more power than you because I am in a certain uniform and I have a certain level of state backing I think permeates across genders who serve on these forces as well. This is, of course, not to generalize and to, you know, to to echo your point earlier about how it is something that everybody within the forces do. But as a system, it is something that really encourages it, that hinges on these. Do you have anything to add to that as well? I'm just curious to know because, you know, often when we talk about toxic masculinity, there is an association of genders as well. And how it may be useful for us to perhaps think of it as a set of uh, behavior patterns, perhaps a set of, uh, you know, beliefs and attitudes that can permeate across genders as well. No, I, I absolutely agree because um, 
this idea of masculinity is has been so deeply rooted in the uh, in the in the police system and as i said before empathy doesn't form form the core value of it because uh, generally in our uh, indian uh, indian understanding empathy is associated with femininity for some reason right i mean you are not that harsh or you you are not a decisive person for some reason and your heart bleeds for somebody constantly are these ideas i've no- noticed that when you talk about empathy in 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 the, in the context on the ground you're often associated with like you know not so masculine ideas i don't want to say exclusively feminine ideas too but again not so masculine idea it doesn't have a space in uh, toxic masculinity the only way you show empathy is like towards a family but your masculinity in public arena does not have empathy driving the way you function and i honestly believe of course pop culture has a lot to uh, blame but then again this is coming from someone like for myself i have distanced myself from uh, engaging with pop culture that much so if you ask me the last film i watched all of course i haven't watched films in the past like like i haven't watched a film where they would show something like this in the past year or two i do watch some documentaries but that idea still permeates i mean i realized that there was some conversation among my friends about pathan uh most recent movie also carrying this idea of you know this really masculine portrayal of uh, a a defense officer and a policing officer all of that so our pop culture has portrayed those values but how much of it um how much of it has already been in our system is something that we need to reflect on because of course these ideas are coming from somewhere um the pop culture hasn't really just written it by themselves there were these ideas already of course pop culture has exaggerated it now um and that kinds of create a pre- creates a pressure on say women who want to be a part of the the policing force right i mean even today like i don't think indian army allows allows women in combat forces um and why doesn't it allow right i mean this whole idea that women can't be violent or women can't be uh women cannot be associated with anything remotely related to violence i mean that's that's a very i mean you can see how toxic masculinity there engages with in shapes really the the social fabric of even femininity what is indian femininity what is um, i mean who gets to be a part of it so all of that so of course i mean it does does have an effect on gender gender per se and pop culture does play a big role in shaping how those uh, narratives are portrayed Yeah thank you so much for bringing up all those very important points Neeraj and like what i'm hearing a lot is about how hegemonic masculinity actually affects uh, the police force and how we've been talking about empathy we've been talking about the gendering of the police forces and how is how that's so detrimental to everybody involved in the process and we have understood that it is toxic masculinity that affects a lot of our perception or how the police force itself is constructed but i want to understand why is that a problem uh, if that is something if that is the ethos of the police force then why do we think that it is a problem that that is the core value and uh, if you do think that it is a problem then how can we imagine alternatives for it um i mean i don't i mean this is so like this is like asking someone to change the social fabric of the country because that's the understanding we are rooted in that understanding of uh, what masculinity is so much that um, an alternative fact coming out of like an alternative to that would be a, a more empathetic police force 
and that can only happen i believe and this is my personal opinion of course it can change and people might have different opinions is by two ways is that you counsel and you uh, counsel the existing police force into dealing better with um, you know uh, with with the the constituents with the the with the communities that they are dealing with right so if a police officer is posted in like a working class neighborhood in the in an urban space of course they have to be mindful of the power dynamic that they have and they share with the community uh, because of course it's not going to be um it's not that straightforward and it's going to be a bit i mean it's it's unbalanced right i mean uh, uh the and the working class communities will look at the police officer um not just as an oppre- uh, not just as a protective force but sometimes also as an oppressive force and this is what i've seen recurrently on the ground that people are scared people are scared uh, by these officers who are expected to serve them right by the by the force was expected to serve them so that counseling has to go through um secondly i feel recruitment matters a lot because who forms the police force um how many of them are uh, given responsibility in a particular area all of that matters because um i've the conversations the conversations i've had with existing police officers um uh, especially even like some of my family members not my close family but of course my extended family members is that uh there's a lot of stress and workload on these police officers to solve certain number of cases every month um and this is again with the fact that they have to uh appease the politicians the local politicians the national politicians all of these people so that stress gets added on and all of this comes out when they work and this comes out in a very in a very harsh way on the the people unfortunately on the communities that they are serving and say for for a fact that if you are posted in a community where you can show that kind of dominance it just ends up uh becoming a toxic cycle because then you exert that force on the community the community doesn't look at you very nicely and there's again the problem that cycle continues so i i believe recruitment again there are two aspects of recruitment one is the number of police officers that are being recruited the number has to increase for a fact i know for a fact that mumbai is i mean in maharashtra the police recruitment was stalled for a couple of years uh and people were waiting for that and that still didn't i mean that didn't happen and then when it happened they were they had fewer seats as compared to the applications that they they had so that's one problem secondly who constitutes what is the socio economic identity of police officers who are recruited because let's not forget the fact that defense and police force or these state sponsored roles were a form of social mobility for a lot of oppressed groups so of course like people coming from uh, oppressed caste backgrounds they they had their own regiments after a point in the military um, and that was a form of social mobility because you get certain benefits you raise your living standards and that has helped a lot of communities come out of absolute poverty and helped with representation and i personally feel that when um when the police officer has a lived experience of living through an intimidated environment they are much more approachable when they are police officers because i've worked with like i've seen police officers in action who came from oppressed communities and they knew the realities on the ground and they of course like i'm not saying that they were all innocent or at the same time very violent but they need, they had a better balance of things right i mean for example someone someone a police officer coming from say my community who is relatively privileged would not have uh, the same perception towards 
um i mean of course they, they would not have the same perception towards the working class neighborhoods of the city or the oppressed communities in the city but person is if a person is recruited from that community or if young people from there are given an opportunity to be part of police force not only will they be uh, more approachable to the to the general populace but they'll also be um, i mean they would know how to be vigilant without being oppressive so i think that kind of reform there has to be a balanced reform i mean i am not someone who would say completely defund and we don't need the police force and le- let the communities do whatever but at the same time i wouldn't say that you know you task the police force with every every single responsibility they shouldn't be in charge of uh, i mean we have seen in the past few years how police officers have dealt with say uh, victims of sexual assault and victims of rape and they are not the right they are, they are not the right Uh, uh, entity within the force within the ref- within the force so i feel um representation um as a as a whole matters and rep- within representation again i mean this whole idea of who is forming the police force decides um decides how the police force is going to function in a particular neighborhood um you know something that you said that really stood out to me and i that was actually something i wanted to ask you anyway and it seems like a good um, setup for the follow up is just uh, you know what do you think is the relevance of the police today especially in the context of police abolition movements and you know you've already said you're not in favor of completely defunding the police system and uh you know for the communities to be in charge overall and not to have police systems at all i think at the root of their belief is also the fact that reform is not something that's possible and realistically doable uh but i'm very curious to know you know what your thoughts are on that um as i mentioned before i mean of course reform reform can come in many ways and one way is to have that kind of counseling uh training and you know that psychiatric support to the police that is needed that would ensure immediately i mean at an immediate form that can be uh, that can be a, uh, that can be looked at as a potential solution but i also don't understand the abolition movement in india because um this is very us centric approach this is a very us centric i mean when the george floyd thing happened suddenly there was conversa- there were conversations about police reforms and that showed how little does indian um liberal activists who were actually who started this whole conversation knew about what's already happening so if we speak to um organizations who are working with say criminalized or denotified tribes um and have at the like i fortunately i could like i've spoken to lawyers i've spoken to um activists and development researchers on the ground and their reality is their reality is that it's been happening for every day like there's a george floyd kind of case happening in india every single day but that never gets any attention from these uh, from these uh, you know uh, uh, constant liberal circles of activism which is needed i feel like you need you don't need for a george floyd thing to happen in the us for a conversation to start in india it's very different police brutality is a is a is a daily occurrence for a lot of communities here and it's important like when i say um, i don't completely believe in defunding the police again it's a very let me just Uh, acknowledge the fact that it's a very privileged it's a position uh, it's it's a opinion coming out of privilege i mean of course there are communities who would completely detest for that statement to come in because for them police is an oppressive force and this is more and more real and i think the police force knows about it but that's the way they have been trained to function so i believe the immediate solution to this problem would be one counseling the police force in a much better way creating more empathetic police officers uh, who are more understanding in their approach while i mean there's there has to be a balance between uh, uh 
instilling whatever the idea of discipline is, but at the same time, not go around hitting the lathi to people who are on the ground, sometimes even earning their daily wage, right? So that kind of empathy is important. Um, and secondly, I believe representation has uh, has the uh, key to uh, at least to create to solve some of these issues. Like if uh, members of the communities that have been often that has often been on the oppressed side of the cycle get a chance to be represented in the in the force in the in the police force, I believe that could change a lot, change police's perception in general in India in a lot of areas. So that is the solution. So I don't completely believe, I don't buy this whole American idea of, you know, what is defunding the police because it's relevant there because the police forces, police forces there are already getting, like they're overfunded. But in India, that's not the case. I mean, I believe in a lot of police departments are still underfunded. Right? You don't even, I mean, the more you go towards the grassroots, you realize that police absolutely have no, uh, even the basic necessity to support the communities. So sometimes if like victims come to them for help they don't really have the 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 measures in general i mean cyber cell the nirbhaya cell all happened after major incidences so we are a very reactionary democracy right so we wait for a major incident to happen after which we start in start introducing reforms but that shouldn't be the case now i think the pandemic was a good learning opportunity um, i believe major police forces like mumbai police force would take that into consideration when they design their training programs right they should have more um, I mean, better training programs, mental health support, maybe for police officers, also for um, the victims that that are coming to them for seeking help. Um, and let professionals, more and more professionals, be integrated into the system who know how to deal with the situation more effectively. Because a policeman is not a, a, a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, is not someone who can provide um, overall support to anyone. Their job is to uh, ensure law and order, which I think they should be tasked with only with that, not with like other responsibilities that would take their time out from here and, you know, create newer problems for the society. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up, Neeraj. And I think it's been very interesting listening to you share this perspective. And of course, nobody has to agree on anything, but it's it's been very enlightening to hear your perspective on why you think cultural context matters so much and something that might work in the US or in global North countries might not work in our country or in the global South countries as a whole as well. So thank you so much for sharing your insights on that. I think it has been really good to listen into you today. And I think our listeners would agree to that as well. But before we close, I was wondering if you have any last points that you want to share with us. No, I, I the only thing I would say is, um, I mean, we need police reforms in India. Of course, it's not it's a it's a deeply tainted um, sector which needs which needs a support not just from like the government because they fund it, but it also needs um, there has to be better ways for the police to engage with the community. They need to get get I mean civil society needs to play a role in this matter and um, make sure that civil society is not demonized for helping out the the police force in any way. So yeah, I think I think there are some really good. Um, I'm not uh, not some major authoritative voice to speak on this but there are some phenomenal organizations and individuals working on the ground um, who need to be uh, consulted who can be better uh, I think uh, better voices to for the police force to work with so I believe that every state has it every district almost has it so at least the major ones so I think the police forces can use 
these resources in improving their because this would help the communities better this would help the police better this would help the communities to look at the police in a better way so yeah that's the only closing thought i have thank you so much neeraj it's been really great listening to you hearing from you learning from you uh, and i really do think that our listeners will have a lot to take back with them and to you know continue thinking about this particular conversation that we have had um so thank you so much for taking the time out to come and speak to us today thank you for uh, the opportunity i'm glad that one future collective has started these conversations and it's important that uh, we take these ahead so thank you for the opportunity for and thank you for having me thank you for tuning in today please leave us any questions you may have as voice notes on anchor or in our dms we would love to hear from you this podcast is brought to you by one future collective yes thank you so much and don't forget to follow us on instagram and facebook at one future collective and at one future underscore india on twitter and keep an eye out for future episodes out every second and fourth thursday of the month until next time